Christmas. To start off my sermon, I want to get that out of the way. My name is Matt McGill, and I'm not normally uh, your sermon bringer. Uh, I know I speak on behalf of Mike Hall and uh, Dash Cannell and uh, Brandenburg saying, and along with all of you, we're excited to have Eric back soon. You've been suffering us long enough, all of the schlubs that get to preach from time to time on the summer when he needs a well-deserved break. And I just want to say this. I find that oftentimes the glory of God, the presence of God is made known to me at the apex or the intersection of my deficiency and someone else's proficiency. And I want to say to you on the day of his birthday that that is the case with Eric Barton. I, yes, I know God better because his proficiency has met my deficiency and he gives it without bearing a grudge. I have a present for you today. Uh, this is, I just got this book and I have it for you. It's called Peace in the Last Third of Life. A Handbook of Hope for Boomers by Paul Zoll. Now, I know you're not a boomer, but you're closer than a, to a boomer than I am. Uh, so, present for you later. Just want to start there. Okay, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about Psalm 51. But first, I want to talk just to kind of loosen the crowd up. You guys seem a little tight. I want to I loosen you up a little bit, and I want to think through uh, the, the, the moments in my life and I'll allow you to enter in with me, you know, uh, because some of you were born or lived or suffered in some of the same years. Uh, and sometimes you found the accompaniment, the soundtrack, if you will, to your life, to your suffering uh, in some of those good old 80s songs. For instance, when I was in fifth grade and I was really into skiing, my parents would take me uh, to Keystone or Breckenridge or something like that, and I would put my little cassette tape put my headphones on. I'm going down the mountain, and you'll never guess what my soundtrack song was. Almost. It was, I'm just burning, doing the neutron dance. Remember that? <laughs> I mean, I was like going on the Pointer Sisters uh, down the mountain. And also a song that works really, really good if you want to lose your mind at a junior high dance, Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. Everyone else will back away as you go crazy. They'll talk about you, and all, good, all press is good press, at least in junior high. Uh, and then uh, there is, oh, then there was, of course, the high school football. If you could bottle up the testosterone as 50 guys sat in the locker room with headphones on, listening to Inner Sandman by Metallica, just getting ready to crush the opponents. But I want to tell you now, and this will be truly the birthday gift to you as I share this story, Eric. I want to tell you now about one cold winter when we got snowed in, and I was excited because my girlfriend, Shara, that was her name, when I was in fifth or sixth grade, yes, I had a girlfriend, fifth or sixth grade, her name was Shara, and I thought, well, we're snowed in, we can't go to school, Shara doesn't live too far from me, this is going to be a great snow break. Just then, she called and broke it off with me. And later on that night, through tears, I was down in my basement. I had in my own telephone line, and I, I took the cassette tape, and I put the little, or the little headphones up to the, up to the phone, and I called Shara. And I said, 
you got to listen to this song. Do we have this song, dude? I mean, something like... Now, what I want to say about this song is that it, led, it allowed me to, to weave in my pain and God's superintention of my pain. I laid down on top of Shara this song and the, the, the chorus is, we'll raise our hands to heaven and pray that we'll be back together someday. It was my only hope, this song. So raise your hand. You get the picture. Shara didn't come back to me. <laughs> and I fell asleep through tears. But for that moment, I had a song that, sunk, that synced up with where my heart was. And what I want to say today is that Psalm 51, may not, you may not feel like Psalm 51 every day, but, but believe me, Christian, there, are time, there is a time coming when you will need the song of Psalm 51 to get stuck in your head. And you know what it is to get a song stuck in your head. It sometimes can be frustrating, but I will tell you as a songwriter, it's all we want. It's all we want is for you to take the song that we sing and get it stuck in your head that you're singing it over and over. So this morning, you've heard already Psalm 51 read. And now we're going to preach. The most meaningful yearnings and expressed certainties come out in the songs I write. I don't write books. I write songs. Choruses, verses, bridges, they are pathways to make sense of the life that I've lived. And I can't help it. I've got to write these songs. And today, we're going to look at another songwriter's song, David, song, uh, Psalm 51, uh, after uh, his uh, unbelievable fall from grace. It's probably the preeminent fall from grace, right? God's anointed, the king over all of Israel, and then we know, this, we know the story, but I'll just encapsulate it quickly. It says, in the time, in the spring of the year, at the time when, all, when others were out doing battle, King David said, I'm going to hang back. And so from the rooftop one day, he's looking down and he sees Bathsheba, not his wife, bathing. And he says to himself, I think I'd like that. I'll take that. She becomes pregnant. He asks for her husband to come home from war. Uriah the Hittite was on the front lines fighting, doing the king's bidding. He brings him home, asks Uriah, take a little time with your wife in order to cover up the pregnancy. Uriah won't do it. He's a man of character, a man of, uh, he cares about his troops. He doesn't want to be doing that while his troops are out at war. So David then sends for his friend, Uriah the Hittite, to be put on the front lines and killed. So what began with desire ended with death. We know that. That is a perfect encapsulation of James 1:15. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. See, when we get out of kilter with the Spirit, our desires are wrongly ordered. Then we don't think right. And because our minds are held captive by our desires, they direct our body to satisfy our hearts. And thus, we act out physically the disposition of our hearts. We're bound to. 
So my question today is, how does, a, how does a man who has become disoriented, disoriented to the degree that he would, being the anointed king of God, king, a king of Israel, end up killing his general and being unwilling to even admit it, it takes a parable by the prophet Nathan who came to him and explained to him his sin and he was crushed. And he felt, as you have perhaps felt, and I know I have felt from time to time, somehow cut off from the life of God because of the things that I've done. This is about David's relationship with power. When to exert it, when to hold it back, when to use it for good, and when to use it for ill. And I would say also, it's, it's about David's relationship to his identity. Who is he? What kind of king will he be? Will he be an evil tyrant king or will it be a benevolent king that's good, that, is, that, that lives up, lives into his identity, anchored in God as the king of Israel? And I would submit to you today that whether it's a little K king or a little Q queen, it's kind of indicative of our life. You've been given all of this to rule over, some a little and some a lot. But in, in some ways, God has given you so much. What will you do? How will you act? How will you be oriented toward the giver that you would be the kind of benevolent little K king, little Q queen in your life? So we start with Psalm 51. And I think I should say at the outset that this is about a dead man seeking life. It's a dead man seeking life, but check it out. He's seeking a life that he knows somewhere down deep is there for him. And so now we're gonna, you're going to hear throughout this psalm, you're going to hear what seem like a lot of pleas. P-L-E-A-S, please to God. But I want to let you know that it's really something more like a beseeching based on who God is. It's different than, hey, Hannah, you're going to Whataburger. Can you get me a cheeseburger? Will you or won't you? It's more like, hey, Hannah, my cheeseburger is at Whataburger. Will you go get it for me? It already belongs to me. It's a foregone conclusion. And the hungrier, the more I talk about this, I'm kind of thinking. Anyway, uh, Psalm 51 have mercy on me, Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison down the... I can't help it. That's what that song is actually happening. Have mercy on me as I, on, on the road that I may travel. According to, here's where the beseeching comes in. Don't have mercy on me according to what I deserve. Have mercy on me according to your steadfast love. This is the king of Israel. The Israel that God made a covenant with that said your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky and where you go, I will go. You will be my people and I will be your God. This is the king beseeching God based on his promise. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And let me say to you right at the beginning here that I believe Brokenness is the starting place of mercy. Brokenness is the starting place of mercy. He's asking in a sense for salvation, isn't he? He knows how far he has fallen and he wants to be returned there, but he can't be returned there. But by the hand of a God who is merciful and gracious. So he's saying, don't deal with me on the basis of who I am or what I deserve. Deal with me on the basis of who you are, God, because I know who you are. 
And let me say this. I've got a few. You know, you've heard about the PPP. I'm talking, I'm calling these power-packed pleas. Here's some power-packed pleas, okay? This is a plea that is packed with the power of God because it is predicated or it is anchored in who God is, not in who he is. So let me say this. This is a power-packed plea pointer. (laughs) A power-packed plea pointer. Remind God of who he is when you pray to him. And it's not because he forgets. It's because you do. And when you remind him of who he is, you remind him to deal with you based on who he is. And he will. And he does. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. David is plagued here by the reality of his depravity. And he wants it gone. He wants it washed away. But can I ask you a question this morning? Do any of you ever really forget your sins? I mean, if we just stopped right now and I said, we're going to take the next minute for you to think, it wouldn't be hard. You, could get, you would probably need a book to fill it up. If you really were honest, if you really were honest, you don't forget your sin. In fact, I would submit to you that you're incapable of forgetting your sin. In fact, sometimes the devil assists you in reminding you, and he uses that to condemn you and to keep you paralyzed and cut off from the life of God. Be honest, power-packed plea pointer number two. Be honest with God. You can, and listen to yourself. When you pray to God, remind him of who he is and how he should deal with you according to who he is. But also, tell him. Tell him what you've done. He knows it, but maybe you don't. And maybe the freedom of confessing before a God who loves you will elicit, will draw forth from you more truth, and your ears will hear that. And it will reinforce both your need for God and God's ample ability to give you and make good on the need that you have and his promises. Thoroughly cleanse me in a deep way. He's asking here, he seems to be saying, get down somewhere near the rotten core of things. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You know, it's like a baby that jumps off the diving board. And, but before they do, says, Daddy, watch me, okay? In reverse, I've jumped off the diving board, done a horrible belly splat, and all I want to do is make sure that no one saw that. Please tell me. I've done it, but, but, but I know that God sees all and knows all, so there's nothing that I can do that escapes his sight, and yet that's my plea. Could you turn away from me? I am really defiled here. I'm so low down that the distance between you and me is crushing me further. I can't take it. David's sin proves the distance between man's brokenness and God's holiness. The only one that can judge is one who is without sin. The only one that can judge is one who is without sin, and that's God. So here, another power-packed plea pointer is let prayer put things into perspective. Francis Schaeffer one time said, if you break one, you break two. That is, if you sin in any way, it is a result of having broken the first commandment, which is thou shalt have no other gods before me. You make another god your idol, you are bound to 
sin on those other nine in, one, in some other way. That's how bad it's gotten here. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Okay, so now we're getting somewhere down close to the real problem. Oswald Smith, I think it was, says the problem of the human heart is the heart of the human problem. Okay, so what David is saying is something like Paul saying, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, there's a sense of how, how, deep and down, how deep down is this problem? Is it me that's sinning or is there something living in me that I have to get out? I need deliverance from. For him to say, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity in my mother's womb. He's talking about something like a fetus being somehow broken. That in, in, in all of God's majestic power as he weaves uh, my daughters together in Megan's womb that somehow down deep, even though it's beautiful, even though they are the, a, a, light, a lights in our life, they're brought forth somehow broken and they can't help it in some ways. He's speaking to not just the nature, not just the nurture of sin, but the nature of sin. How deep down does it go, God? Because if, it, if, it, if it's just me, then maybe I could try a little harder. But if it's something down deeper than I can even conceive or understand, then I'm going to need a God who can do an impossible work to reach down deep. Take the plunge, power-packed plea pointer. Take the plunge into the heart of the matter. Investigate the roots of your sin. So many of us just tell God we're sorry for the thing that we did. Meanwhile, for years and years and years, we never understand why we keep doing the thing that we do because we haven't taken the plunge into the heart of the matter. How far back does it go? How deep is it? How rotten are things in Denmark? He's identified the problem that there is, that there is it's deeper than any act. And thus, it is something like the root of all rotten acts, maybe like a birth defect. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Behold, you delight. There seems to be a turn here, okay? There seems to be a turn. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being. Guys, I want to be where God is delighting. I don't know what, you could use lots of poetry, but to make God happy, to have God pleased, to hear somewhere down deep, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That's all I want to hear, and I would submit to you that most of my sin works, works out itself because I am deaf to that word that has been spoken over me in Christ. I need my ears to hear again, and we're gonna, we're gonna see where David's gonna ask for that. And I would say also, can we get a little bit more time for the secret heart? I want a little more time with God talking to my secret heart. What is the secret heart? Why do I start so high when I ask a rhetorical question? What is the secret heart? It must be the heart beneath the heart that we regularly use. The one that somehow is hidden to us, but unlocked 
by God. The secret heart, the heart of sensitivity. Maybe something like the, uh, it was at the uh, Elijah, uh, not, not Elijah, I will send and take from, remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What's the word? What's the prophet? Jeremiah? Maybe, yeah. I would never argue with you from the stage. You're probably right. Jeremiah. Jeremiah, remove from me my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh, a heart of sensitivity, a secret heart, the one beneath the heart that we so regularly trust. God is the searcher. He digs deep into the heart of man to ignite and inform the secret heart. Power-packed plea pointer. Ask God for what he loves to give you. Ask God for what he loves to give you. And here's a hint. It's probably not a Corvette, a perfect marriage, or your son to graduate in four years. That, those are not the things that God loves to give. Those are not the things that God loves to give. God delights in your inward heart. God delights in the secret heart, the secret place, just between him and you, where he can say to you, you are my daughter with whom I am well pleased. I accept you. There's nothing I would hold back from you. That's where you get to start to hear as you ask. Oh, now here he's going to say, here's going to say, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Check it out. Now here's what he's going to start to do. He's going to start to say, you do this and this will happen. I used to have a friend that would, that would pray. And I was always kind of meek and modest about my prayers. Like if someone had cancer, I would, you know, say, should we pray that they won't have cancer anymore? I was kind of scared. He was like, Lord, take that cancer away, and we will be sure to give you the glory. And I always was impressed by him saying, you do this thing, and we will do this thing. It's not a transaction. It's the reality that God, when he is set loose in your life, transforms you. So it can't help but happen. It can't help but happen. When you receive him in little ways or big ways, he will push through you and cause something. His love is causative. His power causes radical change. If you fill in the blank, then I. He does not leave his children unchanged. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Okay. It's hard to sing a happy song when you feel this low. It's hard to hear a happy song. I upset Megan. When, she, when we're really out of kilter, you guys know this. You men who have wives, you, you know that when you are really out of sorts, you can bear down for, for a while and say, it's all her fault. But in the end, you're going to lose the song of love that you enjoyed with your spouse unless you relent and ask God to deliver you, to deliver you back into intimacy, back into trust, back into hope of the future. These are the things that we have him asking here, except how much more intimate with the God of the universe than a, than a, than a wife let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Ask God for beauty in your brokenness. Ask God to act through your brokenness to reveal his higher purpose, his superintention, even of your sin. Did you know that God is sovereign over your sin? Did you know that there's nothing that you can do that surprises God? 
And there's, nothing, there's no way that you can sin that God can't redeem and teach you and lead you into a deeper knowledge of yourself and your propensity to forget the God you love. That's a real word of hope for desperate sinners like me. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. This is the second time we've heard blot out. I want them gone, Lord. I don't want to remember. I don't want to be plagued by this knowledge any longer of how I have left you. Blot out and hide your face from my sins. Power-packed plea pointer. Ask God to do what only he can do. Then you're going to be in the area of some real transformation, some real hope. And get, check it out. There's none of you that can forget my sin. I can't forget my sin. And if I sin against you, you'll tuck it away somewhere and remember it always. There is only one who has the power to forget sin, to, the Bible says, toss them into the sea of forgetfulness. And you want a God who has the power to forget your sin. Amen? That's what you want, and that's what you have. So ask God to do what only he can do. Lord, would you just forget it? Can you cancel it? You're seeing something's happening here. You're seeing in Psalm 51 something like a life in Christ, something like God answering your deepest needs in Christ. I want you to hear this song, and thank God I'm not singing it, it's very hard to sing these songs in a, with like a three chords, you know, and a guitar. It's, you almost have to go, create in me a clean heart, oh God, you know, something like that. I mean, that's about the only way. I, I thought maybe I could sing it, but I don't think it's possible. If you've ever disappointed someone in, the way, the, in a way, the only thing you wish was that they no longer knew what they know about you. Do you know about that? But this is impossible with man. Okay, now here we go. Here's the, here, we're going to get three Three, one, two, three punch of power-packed pleas from Brother David. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. These are three, and notice that each one ends with him asking for the spirit. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Who wants a dirty heart? Ugh. Who wants to carry around a dirty heart? filthy, embarrassing, shameful heart. And you know that people do? People do all the time. They're absolutely content because it's the one thing that they feel that they can control is just how dirty their heart is. Pray for them. Notice your own uh, proclivity to walk around life Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. There's a lifting sense here. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Power-packed plea pointer. Cling to the spirit. Cling to the spirit. Cling to the spirit. It's all you have. The word says that you can't even understand the Bible but by the Spirit. And Jesus, again and again, when people say true things, what does he say? Flesh and blood hath not revealed that to you. Flesh and blood, meaning it was a normal way back in the day for Jews to say, all that you are did not reveal that to you. Your flesh and your blood did not reveal that to you, but my Holy Spirit. Cling to the Spirit. 
Check this out. After those three, after those three where he asks, he reminds us to cling to the spirit, what does he say? Then, then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. I see this as Christ consciousness. Now, let me just unpack that just a little bit. Jesus wasn't a sinner. We know that. Don't let me get heretical. But I want to say to you that David is is seeing that if you will restore me, Lord, then with the knowledge I have about how low you condescend to save sinners, I will be lifted. I will be lifted by the love that you have shown me going all the way down to lift me up. And what will I do? I will teach transgressors your way and they will turn to you. Sinners will return to you. This is the best that a sinful man can do to please God. Can I say that? Wow, he's a wounded healer. He becomes a wounded healer. This goes from being personal to a return to the throne. Do you see? He said, then I will teach transgressors. Why would they listen to him? He's their king. He was their anointed. But who's going to lift him? A king who can rule with the knowledge that he is sinner is a better king. A king who can rule with the knowledge that he is a sinner is a better king. He doesn't have to hide. In fact, he writes a song to everyone to sing about the time when he fell. About the time when, like a ring and a pig's nose, he was drawn to adultery and murder. I want to say this, and you'll hear it. Cultures have always canceled men. Cultures always cancel men, but God redeems men. And back from with Shara Smith, you know, calling her with the, with the I mean, to, my, I was so intimacy starved that for years I did plenty that should get me canceled. Okay? I know what it is to be down low, and probably you do too. But do you know that there is a God who can get down that low with you? And that can lift you. This is the the boy who slayed Goliath. But guess what? You don't slay Goliath once. He keeps coming back. And he takes a different form. And you don't beat him with might and strength and weapons of war and all of your wisdom. You only beat him with the Spirit. That was true of David when he was slinging rocks at Goliath. And it's true of David now as he asks for God to lift him back into his presence and out of this condemnation. Deliver me from my blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Do you know that relief? Have you ever known that relief when you were so far down and she forgives you? Or he forgives you? Do you know what it is to receive this side of eternity? The horizontal love of God bent out to you through a spouse or a friend or a parent or a child? Do you know that? I want you to start to seek glimpses of that in your life. And remember, brokenness is the pathway to mercy. 
Oh Lord, open my lips and I will declare your praise. Here's the power-packed plea pointer here. Ask and know that God's righteousness replaces your unrighteousness. You see, we're still getting a picture. We're getting a vision here. Many, many years before Jesus was born, we're, well, born this side. We're getting a vision of who Jesus is, even as the king reaches for God through his need. Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your statement, (laughs) declare your praise. Indicative statements about God's power in your life, relationships with Jesus are causative. Again, he leaves no child unchanged. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. He seems to be working this out rhetorically here. Well, if you, if you delighted in sacrifices, then I could definitely get some big bulls. I could get whatever we need. We could get it on the altar, and you'd delight in it, and I'd be good to go. But he's reckoning here. He's reckoning here that that is not who, the God, who God is. That's not what God wants. God does not want his strength. His strength got Uriah the Hittite killed and Bathsheba pregnant. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Tell God true things. And tell the truth to yourself. There's a great new Avett Brothers song. Tell the truth to yourself. Starts with, I lie to my doctor. I mean... Starts out pretty, you know. So the sense is, is you've got to tell the truth to yourself. Tell the truth to God. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. I realize I'm going a little long all of a sudden. I just looked at the clock for the first time. Just saying that. Uh, The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Men, listen to me. Men, 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 listen to me. Your wife and kids do not need a hero. They do not need someone on the front of the boat. They need a broken and repentant man. That's what they need because that's what makes it trust, that's what makes it safe for them to trust you. If you're always holding the standard up here, They're going to fall far from it, and they're not going to love you very much. The heroic thing is the repentant thing, the contrite thing. Finally, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. There's a sense of like, be good to your people in your good pleasure, in your timing. He asks for them to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Fortify me. There's something like he's been somewhere, and he knows he might, he, he, he might go back there. Megan says to me one, after we reconcile one time, she says, I kind of know you're going to do that again. I, I said, I know. I hope I don't, but I might. I don't know if that's helpful or not. I'm just letting you know that that's... <clears throat> so this is it. Seek God's protection from sin living in you. Seek God's protection from sin living in you. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. I say to you, power-packed plea pointer, let your strength be burned up on the altar. 
My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. The bull was the largest domesticated animal with the greatest physical strength and therefore the most revered in ancient civilization. Even today, the bullfighter is considered courageous for standing up to the most ferocious beasts while also being cheered on by thousands. And we know about the golden calf. It was an attempt to fill a void of an abstract god with a familiar Egyptian symbol. But here we get something new and something different. That is, the sacrifice, the, the way that you serve God, the way that you love God is through your brokenness, is through your repentance, and through your humility. I got a little, I got a little uh, graphic here I like to show. Do you have this, Mark, with the, uh, with the crosses and the... Yeah, oh, I've always, this has always been helpful to me. It's always been helpful to me. That as you grow and as you go along in life, you begin to understand your sinfulness. And you juxtapose that to God's holiness, God's high and pure, perfect and pure standard in Christ. You see that there is a, there's a distance. There's a gap between you and him. And I want to say that as you acknowledge that, the cross only grows in your life. Because that's the only bridge between your sinfulness and God's holiness and it has been provided. David has come to understand in his disastrous descent who he needs God to be. And he recognizes that that is exactly who God is. He's asking God to lift him into God's presence again and out of condemnation that he can then from that lifted space speak to sinners about how far God goes down to rescue and preserve his flock. Because now he exists at two places at the same time. He knows his sin and he knows his God of love who delivers him from it. So the question I have for you today, are you a danger or are you a deliverer? And I would say to you quickly, you're both. You're a danger to yourself and to your family. But in Christ, through a broken spirit and contrite heart, you can become a deliverer a deliverer of truth, a deliverer of hope, a deliverer of peace and ease and love. I called this sermon Praying When You Don't Have a Prayer. Praying when you don't have a prayer. Well, I want to say to you that, that there, there is not a time when you don't have a prayer. There was a time when David felt that he didn't have a prayer. But in Christ, you always have a prayer. Christ has become the prayer that you live and walk and move and have your being in. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. May our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, song of love for you, to you, and through you become your song. May Jesus get stuck in your head and heart eternally. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are the lifter of our heads. I thank you that you are the consolation of Israel, the Prince of Peace, everlasting Lord of love. We thank you for the names that we have that help us to understand just how capable you are of meeting us in our times of need. I pray for this church. I pray for our time together week by week that you would continue that work of revealing yourself to us and helping us to let go of the lives that we love to find ourselves held by a Lord of love. We thank you, we love you, and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.